So the, the you were at a wedding in the desert, and you went on a vision quest, and now you're back. Uh, there was no vision quest, but I am back, yeah. Was it, was it more went... of a vision moment? Like... <laughs> um... I mean, I drank a lot, but I don't think I had visions. I don't think that alcohol usually gives you visions. Uh, hey, that's fair enough. But basically, you've been away for a week, but like, not a lot's happened. Or at least, not a lot in the world of video games has seemingly happened in terms of actual releases. That is true. Um, I think we're in a... There's several reasons for this. I mean, so each year you have... Most of your releases are going to be in AAA. Most of your releases are going to be closer to the holidays. So around October, things get very real. And then you have a second set of releases that's kind of um, in February, February, March-ish, which is, I don't want to say it's necessarily the games that slipped but and didn't make their, their initial ship date, but it's when um, the forces that be in marketing feel that you will make the most money, either if you release your big AAA title in during the holidays or during that kind of weird period february march um nobody nobody tends to release games during the summer sale right Mm. so everybody avoids that kind of like the blast radius that is the various summer sales um i i don't know if it's because a lot of games came out it seems like a lot of games came out last year and a lot of games are maybe coming out next year um and it seems like maybe people were avoiding the it could just be limitations from hardware. Like the Switch came out this year, so I imagine there's going to be a ton of title launch titles for the Switch. I'm actually surprised there haven't been more. It's weird, but you mentioned the Switch and you mentioned Zelda. Did you get a yes. Switch? Not yet, no. I did. That would have made the flight really fun. <laughs> uh, I caved and got one, and it's really cool. It's like a part of me is thinking, like, I think this is like how i would enjoy experiencing games now that i can play a real not portable version of a game just the legit version of a game and then just pick it up and lay in bed and play it or pick it up and play it on the train or whatever and zelda's really good i've never liked zelda games before and i've tried so hard and i've played a bunch of them trying to get to the point where it grabs me and this one has and yeah i love it yeah, a lot of people really love... I've heard that a lot about this Zelda, that it's fantastic like that. And I've heard a lot of people finding the uh, Switch has use cases they didn't anticipate. Uh, one of my coworkers has an infant child, and he's just like, you have no idea how useful it is to be able to... Because I'm constantly moving this this baby around from this room to this room and being able to pick up my game. Because um, when you have a baby, I guess there's a lot of downtime. Mm. Uh, like, now they're sleeping. Now they're doing this. Uh, but he, he mentioned loving having the, the Switch and being able to move around and such. Oh, yeah. I remember this was pre the Switch coming out. But when one of my friends uh, had a kid and he got a Vita for the specific reason that he could sit and play Minecraft while the kid was asleep on him. So he could just mm-hmm. sit there, the baby sleeping on his like chest, and he could just sit there playing Minecraft while it's... Because it's hours. That this, <laughs> it's like this, you are here now for the next like yeah. hour or so. So just sit there and do that. And yeah, I imagine that translates over. But yeah, this Zelda is, I think it has focused on an element of Zelda that it hasn't really focused on for quite a while, which is just exploration as opposed to uh, like the kind of 
gimmicky dungeons and things like that. Like the puzzles mm-hmm. now, when I go into these little shrines, it reminds me of Portal, which is the perfect sort of puzzle for me, which is one where you walk in, you're given a tool that does a thing, you're given things that interact with the tool, and you can clearly see your goal, which is be over there. And it's like, well, these things stand in your way. You have all the tools you need to figure this out. Figure it out. And you, you do, after a while, as opposed to a sort of old Zelda dungeon where you walk into a room and it would give you nothing. Like, you'd walk in and be like, what do I do? And then you'd have to look... Like, the objective is open the door. And it's like, right, how do I do that? Sometimes you just have to search around and find some switch on a ceiling that you'd hit with an arrow. And you'd be like, oh, good, the door's open. And I just <laughs> generally get a sense of being glad that the puzzle was over as opposed to enjoying the puzzle yeah it didn't make you feel smart you didn't no, feel like you figured just, something out it just made me feel like oh good i can i can keep going and that was a kind <laughs> of a thing with a lot of zelda games but it would be go into place no longer be able to do thing anymore and have to figure out how you can just keep doing whatever it was you enjoyed doing and yeah turns out what i enjoy doing is exploring and this that is a big part of what this game is it's so good like it, doing stuff like just turning off the hud and being like i'm gonna walk in that direction and i'm gonna see what's there and the amount of stuff that is in this game that you just find while you're wandering around or like because i saw someone on twitter say something like oh it's it's just assassin's creed but like painted like zelda it's an ubisoft game this is a person that always just froze rubbish out under the internet and i was like yeah that's a weird thing to say why why because there's towers that you climb Uh. and you unlock the map when you've climbed the tower that's it (laughs) like it was like like the developer in me is just like whoa the ai system in assassin's creed they like had they had crowds and shit i don't remember reading about that no there's none of it it was a stupid post by a person that posts stupid things but i saw that and i was just like well no because i'll see like in Assassin's Creed, it's like, cool, you you need a map. So you climb the top of a high thing with a bird flying around. It's like, cool. Whereas this, it's like, it's an it's an environmental puzzle in and of itself as to how I'm going to get up to... I see a tower in the distance, like, glowing. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to climb to the very top of that. Now let's keep going in that direction and try and figure out how the fuck I'm going to get up this mountain. Like, <laughs> because it's up a mountain. And you're like, okay... How do I get up there? I have to run around. I'm gonna because you don't have a map yet because you haven't climbed up it. So you just yeah. gotta run around figuring all this stuff out and encountering tons of stuff on the way and like finding a little dungeony thing you can go in and be like, oh cool. And all this stuff emerges just from you being like, I'm gonna climb that thing. It's great. I love it. It's the and it's the first time I've played a Zelda game that I've been like, that's that's what Zelda. That's why it felt like the promise of The Legend of Zelda was to me, which was, you're this guy, and it's like, you have to go and... There's a specific thing you have to go and do, but look at this world. Go and run around it and just enjoy being... Like, that is one thing that I think... Uh, this is me just ranting now, or talking. Go, go with it. It's one thing that in video games that I never quite... Not just video games, in fact, lots of things. Partic- actually, particularly video games, where it's like... Because for me, the saving of Princess Zelda always feels like I don't need that. Like, it's the saving of Princess Peach. Peach Mm -hmm. is the worst because I'm just like, gosh, she's such a crap character. 
I don't care about her. She's a complete non-entity that just goes. You just need a MacGuffin that pushes you forward. You, and, this is and the thing, this right? Is your MacGuffin. Yeah. I don't think you do need the MacGuffin, right? You can just be a dude who the reason you're a hero is that you like love fighting monsters. You love climbing mountains. You love solving puzzles. That's what mm-hmm. differentiates you from anyone else. And in Zelda, this feels particularly true. Like in this Zelda game, it's like all these other people are like, well, yeah, I like painting. Like there's a dude who you meet across the map who's like, <laughs> he's painting stuff. And he's like, I love going here and painting. Cool. It's like, I like going out, fighting monsters, and I like climbing stuff, and I like finding things. And coincidentally, that is going to lead to me making this world a better place. But I just, I love doing that. I, I think that's yeah. way better. And that's way- a hard... So you need some small narrative wrap. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, there is. There is. Like, you you do need that. But I don't know. There's a lot of stuff where it's like, particularly Princess Peach is like the fucking worst. I hate. I don't. You're you're really pulling up like the worst case. I know. I know. For the MacGuffin. She's the worst. But it's like, God, you could totally get rid of her and it would make no difference. Like, it'd be like, Mario wants to go and do all the things, but Bowser's going to stop him. Done. (laughs) Like, why do I need this like extra layer of bullshit? I don't know. Yeah. Meh. I don't like that. But yeah, this for me, Zelda's really captured that. Like, I want mm-hmm. to go and do the things because X, Y, Z, rather than in other Zelda games where I never felt I wanted to go and do the things because it was just like, oh, you have to go here, Link. Do this. And I'm like, why? I don't want to. Like, what's interesting about this? <laughs> but yeah. It's like, that's what the story says to do now. Yeah. yeah uh, it's like, eating- whereas I'm just doing things I want to do, kind of. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. It's totally it's fine you need um it's difficult to have a game that has absolutely no narrative wrapper that's yeah. just do puzzles people tend to bounce off those you need some small thing and generally you want something small enough that um a, a small enough light enough narrative that people can kind of uh fill in the gaps themselves you know yes what I mean? yeah i agree uh, i mean this leads on nicely to an article that was in the atlantic that everyone's been tweeting oh God, around it's been all over Twitter, yes. Mm. Video you know it's a games slow news week. are better without stories, proffers Ian potentially pronounced Bogost, which doesn't feel right. It could be Bogost. That sounds more right, but I'm going to go with Bogost because I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Now, the article so. is over 2,000 words, and Lord knows I could not be bothered to read it, but I'd quite <laughs> like to use the title as a jumping-off point because, I don't know, it's like... I have not got the attention span to sit down and read 2,000 words of anything at all. So this is, I'll just go with the title. Print media is totally dead. Print media is dead. And I think a lot of the people that are waxing philosophical about this article on Twitter maybe didn't even read it either. I would imagine like, so. I, I mean, it's it, this is because it's a slow news week, and this is a, one of those articles that I think... Um, this article came out that video games are better without stories. And it came out, uh, and it's comparing games to film and books which Mm -hmm. is something that uh critics uh, you have to understand everybody involved in the games industry is a person and a lot of people that went on to become um critics and game writers or liberal arts majors that are really interested in critiquing games and such and so Mm -hmm. this is the kind of article they love and this is the kind of article game developers love the it's kind of like hey hey (laughs) you stories you can't tell a story with video games and game developers are like what yeah we can fuck you like let's fight about it so yeah 
This is exploding on on Twitter right now, which is pretty pretty funny. It's typical. It is. But... It's all the usual suspects tweeting all the things you'd expect them to say, and it's like, all right, I'm I'm I see what's happening here. But I thought that would be an interesting jumping on point to talk about uh, the idea of video games, stories, and the way the. I mean, I think games when telling a story well tell their stories in many different ways but some of the ways because it because comparing it to films and books and stuff is by saying well like the story of this game that is telling it in a filmic way is not going to be as good as a, the telling of a story in a film with real actors and all that stuff so that's hmm. true but then there are i mean i say that's true there's people that are not going to agree with that it's like yeah you know <laughs> what i mean but there's ways video games can tell stories that no other medium can, and I thought that might be interesting to talk about. Zelda being a prime sure. example for the, the little stories I've made myself whilst just going around and yes, having. So Zelda's Zelda's an interesting one because that's an open world game where you can where there's tons of narrative for you to explore, and you can kind of. Uh, it's one of those games where you are. Games are great because in a game like Zelda, you are a character in the narrative. And you can decide, am I am I good? Am I evil? Am I am I going to solve this puzzle or am I a person that doesn't solve puzzles? I especially love games that give players choices where they can decide, am I a am I a person who will punch the camera woman in the face because she's in my face all the time? Or am I a a person that's just gonna be very restrained because I'm above that and mm. I'm like I'm playing Shepard differently. Or yeah. you know, I games where you have um you can completely define how a character is, allow you to become that character and, and see the world through that lens. I think uh, you definitely open world games like that. Um, games where you, you... Another beautiful thing about games that are open world like that is you decide how much narrative you want. Do you want uh, the... A, a film is set. It has a set amount of time. You're going to sit down for like two and a half hours and watch it. Whereas for a game, you can decide, okay, I want to do all the side quests, or I want to know exactly what's going on with this character, so I'm going to do only their side quests, or I want to only experience the main narrative. You can make the game take as long or as short as you want. You can experience the world as much or as little as you want. Um, there's just so many different ways games are different. Mm. And I I think it's it's such a obviously, like obvious clickbait article with obvious uh counterpoints yeah it's almost too easy to knock this article down like the um i'd agree games are just so so incredibly different from film and from from books in a lot of ways that i love um and there's so many different ways to tell a narrative in a game like there's so many you you brought up zelda which is a uh, um like an open world game mm. but you also have I think they're. I think the article is trying to compare film to maybe Naughty Dog style games, yeah, where that's, it's highly cinematic. Yeah, that seems to be the connection, and how one is better than the other in terms of execution. Mm, and I, I don't know if I agree with that either. I, I think uh, this just goes back to you can with a game. You can make it take longer or shorter, and I know that's less true with a Naughty Dog style game. Um, I think uh, a Naughty Dog style game does allow you, even if there isn't as much choice and branching narrative and stuff, it, it does allow you, because you are physically driving the character, to 
feel more immersed and feel more a part of the world. Mm. I think um, the fact that uh, only after you go up and you you climb a thing does your companions say X Y Z. Yeah, uh, like the fact that the the narrative waits for you and relies on you is is big. Um, and I, I think the Naughty Dog, narr- the storytelling there is stronger when you're running around in the world and doing things and, and people are talking to you um, and your companions are talking to you. I think that's when it's actually stronger. When they take control of the camera and just show you a cutscene, I think I would agree that that's actually the weaker um, parts of the narrative. It's a necessary thing that they have to do to tell their story. Mm. But I do think that is that's probably weaker than film, sure. Um, but I mean, it's just a filmic element in a game. Yeah. It's not... I think that's yeah. that because again, like you say, it's a really it's a it's a discussion that's been had a million times, and it's got really obvious counterpoints. Like you say, yeah, those aren't going to be as good as films; those moments, but that's not what the game is. Like that's yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. Everyone's had that discussion. So I wanted to talk about is video games and the way video games are told stories differently to things like films and books and stuff like that and i've mentioned stuff like the walking dead season one before uh, uh in terms of me being blown away that i was uh making my own decisions in a split second like what am i going to do x or y and it telling me things about myself and making me sit there thinking like oh god in that situation that's what i chose to do so yeah. maybe let's think about why you chose to do that Stuff like that, and I've mentioned like characters that I've connected with in a way that I have never connected with a character in a book or a film, which, again, I think I've mentioned before, Alex Vance and Half-Life 2, moment where some scientists mm. are blithering on, and I just turned the camera around to look at her, and she kind of rolled her eyes and shrugged a little bit, like, these guys are boring. And I was like, yeah. that, that changed me. I was just like, oh my god, that's what I was thinking. And I may not have necessarily even ever turned around and looked at you. That the whole moment I may not have been experienced by me, but I just turned around thinking, God, these guys are boring. I wonder if Alex is doing anything. I don't know. I don't even know what I was thinking, but she was just like, these guys, right? I'm like, yes, that's amazing. You're a real thing. And yeah, yeah. I love that moment. Portal is another I example. You talking about that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love that moment so much. That's one of my favorite video game moments ever. And it's, such a little moment but it just it i think that more than a lot of stuff solidified that game was one of my favorite games when people ask just for that because yeah. i'm like oh that was for so that, good that small amount of immersion yeah wonderful. Oh, it was amazing it's and the details like yeah. that that just make it that just make it man but yeah, yeah. like games like paul like the narrative that i felt like even though i didn't discover it it felt like i discovered the narrative in that game and then i, I it presented itself to me stuff like that was cool i mean you you've talked about stuff like Rimworld before i know you've been super into games that tell oh, their yeah. stories so like emergent, that yeah emergent narrative i think is is pretty cool so uh games where uh everything is procedurally generated or randomly generated so uh in Rimworld, for instance you get a a, a random group of people that have personalities um and Based on their personalities and their needs, they'll go out and they'll do different things in in the game. Like this person likes when in their leisure time, they like to take walks. This person's mm. um, kind of constantly hitting on a different character because uh, they this person's kind of into one of the characters in your party. And just I love games like that. I love, um, you know, I think I, 
I don't think I've mentioned this before, but one of the earliest titles of this was um, Valkyria Chronicles for me. Oh, no, we I don't think of... we spoke about that before. Yeah, this is uh, a... Uh, this has this game's actually come back, thank goodness, because I loved it back when it was on um on the console. I think it was the PS2. Yeah. Uh, and it it came back. It, they re-released on Steam, which is something that amazing that a lot of these Japanese uh, studios are doing recently is releasing games on Steam that are PS2 titles. Um, but yeah, Valkyria Chronicles is a tactics game. People start out with different personalities. Some people don't like being in the dust. It's kind of a war game where. Uh, you're you crawl through the grass and the muck and the dirt and you're um, uh, shooting. Uh, what would I, I think I'd, I'd say it's a tactics game, so it's probably similar to XCOM. I think a lot of people would consider it similar. Okay, yeah, to XCOM. But you're um, I I never felt such a connection to the characters until that game. I never felt uh, like one of the characters through the course of combat becomes a sadist, and literally her. Uh, her VO changes and she oh, just starts saying crazy shit. Every time she's running towards, uh, every time she's running towards somebody like into combat, she starts just saying different, like crueler, weirder shit. And they, uh, they took it so far that, that, that over the course of this game, these characters will change. And I'll admit it's not entirely random. I thought it was at the time. Mm. Uh, but looking back, it wasn't random. Well, this still, that was always... your experience at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. But and obviously, they couldn't make it completely random because they literally changed the VO. Some people yeah. some people spent time in, in combat and eventually became, like, timid. Some people just change... War changes them. Oh. Like, depending on how many missions you send these people on. And um, that was cool. I thought that was an interesting way to tell a narrative that mm. depending on how you used your people, how you deployed them, how often you deployed them, they changed. Uh, and that's storytelling in its yeah. own way. And that's storytelling where you can kind of fill in the gaps. That's storytelling where you feel like as a player, you are making the story, uh, which is something unique that I think only games can do. And I know people will reference things like um, like where you literally make the story, like uh, The Sims. Uh, yeah, and and I I'll touch on that. Sure, that that is definitely you making the story, but uh, I think it's just personally not my style of game simulation style mm, games. Yeah, um, maybe Tropico or games like that might be a little bit more closer to this emergent narrative. Uh, but I I love I love games where just through the randomness and through your own interpretation of the randomness, you find story, you make story happen, and I mm. I think that's where that's where games narrative for me really resonates. That's what I really love. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you, you brought up RimWorld. You didn't expect me to just fucking go off on it, but I, I loved, I loved that about RimWorld. That's the thing I love in all of my, in any game that, that has that, that emergent narrative, that, that narrative that comes from nothing and randomness and you kind of piece it together yourself. So one thing I did want to talk about, cause like I mentioned stuff like the turning around and looking at Alex and her being like, cool, these guys, little character things like that and that can really build a character and even things like that that you say emergent kind of gameplay stuff i imagine because stuff like that kind of feels rare like you don't get that all the time in video games it must be a difficult thing to do like how much because that was to me, I don't know what the whole, like, who decided to put that in there and how that was in there and how I ended up looking at it and all that stuff. 
but mm-hmm. what like is that an animation thing is that a direction thing like how difficult is it to put little things like that in that just make a game feel or a character feel more alive it's a well, very I mean, it... unfought out question sorry Gwen. It's no just... it's okay um i mean that specific moment you brought up the way i would approach it would be um imagine you're in a big triple a studio because that's the kind of studio that would make a game like that now mm-hmm. uh somebody um probably your creative director plays through and says uh or and realizes that this moment's a little bit boring or could use a little touch or maybe you notice uh when watching people play through the game uh that they tend to turn around in that moment and you're <laughs> yeah, like okay maybe we should have around. something here yeah maybe we should have something here maybe and that there'll be a conversation like maybe this maybe this conversation's boring and we should cut it down maybe we should re-record it uh and somebody will suggest, like, maybe if you look at her, she she shrugs at you. And then you go to um, somebody writes a bug and is like, okay, make this happen. And then an animator will animate it. And then uh, a designer will go in and script it so that um, from this moment during the dialogue to this moment during the dialogue, uh, if the player looks at at any point has, like, this invisible target on their screen, which is the character, mm. uh she will blend into playing this animation where she looks at you and like kind of shrugs. Um, and then that'll execute. So I guess it's, it's a lot more boring than you think. No, no, no. The, it's, the it's process an of setting it up. Yeah. It's, it's more like one thing I would like to know from like a developer animator kind of standpoint is how, or what the thought process is and how difficult it is to actually kind of make, not only a world, but more a character feel like a character, as opposed to mm-hmm. sort of a mannequin moving its mouth while VO comes out. Because, you know, it's rare that there are many characters oh. that I actually... Like, I haven't played Half-Life 2 in so long, but Alex Vance is a name that sticks in my head, and a character I remember as really liking and stuff like that. God, I mean, there's... You're, you're basically asking... Everybody tries. Yeah. Nobody's going in and, and saying, I want my character to feel like a mannequin that says VO and the lips <laughs> just move. Like, uh, everybody wants that. And it, part of it, I mean, it it depends on... <sighs> Making a video game is a lot like playing a video game in a way. Mm. You have to choose your battles. You choose what you're focusing on. Maybe you're putting all of your effort into making a high fidelity world. Maybe you're putting all of your effort into making sure that the gunplay is good. Uh, maybe you're putting all of your effort into making the narrative good. And honestly, narrative games with beautiful, amazing narrative are not the money makers. Mm. Uh, Call of Duty is the money maker. Games that have high replayability with a lot of um, uh, a, a core loop that that is that people can repeatedly play um, tend to for the amount of money they take to make to the amount of money you get out out of them the ROI uh, those are the games that that are good money makers and Mm. um, at the end of the day we need to make money to survive uh, and publishers want to hear how you're going to get money from a player and so saying if you go to publisher or anybody and you say okay I want to make a a narrative game and what I really really want to focus on is making um a companion character that is immersive and amazing and that will respond to you when you look at them uh the publisher will be like what's this going to cost <laughs> how how are we getting ongoing revenue from this mm, uh okay. and so 
part of it uh, is just, it's not easy to win the battle of putting a lot of effort and money into making these little narrative moments. Uh, games, there are obviously exceptions, for instance, Bioware games, because that is their brand. Um, they tend to to really double down on these narrative moments, and they have um, obviously like, why are Bioware games so good? Usually the writing is incredible. Uh, usually the um, they it it just comes down to they put the time and the effort into doing it. Everything is time and effort and money, right? Um, but I guess you were asking more of if you say there's infinite money and infinite time, and, yeah. and you want to make a game that's Okay. So, like, I think uh, I would be interested in, I don't know if this is maybe a discussion for another day when you've had more time to think about it, mm-hmm. it's sort of, Gwen Frey, you are making a character, and this is a character that you want people to remember and feel like they're relating to. Not in a weird way, like that little boy that Peter Molyneux created, where it's like, mm-hmm. look at my drawing, and he's like, oh, that's a bloody good drawing, or whatever it was that kid mm-hmm. was saying. Just in a way of, I'm playing a video game, and... I feel like that character is a character as opposed to a character in a game. Okay, so if if the task given to me, if somebody came to me and was like, Gwen, you have infinite time, infinite money. Mm-hmm. I want you to make a character that people will talk about forever. Yeah, um, people will feel they've got to know. Mm-hmm. I would probably make it a companion character i'd probably do something close to bioshock infinite a companion character that follows you around and explores the journey with you uh in order to people tend to feel connections to um a person or a creature they have to protect that's Mm why um so maybe a, a child or a dog or something like that i think um uh the last of us is an incredible example of creating a, a serious within an instant i was bonded with my child at the beginning of last of us like yeah. i was instantly there i was i felt that oh, and I, I through all of last of us like i felt that um, I'm, I'm with that with my horse in zelda this is a very brief sidebar <laughs> yeah. shit i turn into the fucking angel of death if anyone attacks my horse like i'm just like fighting like usual like hey you 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 little guy get out of here but the minute anyone like hurts my horse i'm like oh it's fucking on i'm gonna That's wipe your race out <laughs> so did did your horse did you have to work hard to acquire this horse did yep you did do, you have you to do. work hard you do kind of oh. have to you have to sort of catch it and you have to like tame it a little bit and then there you go you and name it and you can braid its hair and all sorts of fun stuff and that's my horse so and it can die so i'm like <laughs> get the fuck off my horse there you go so you've added you've touched on a lot of things you made it difficult this is something that not everybody can have it's something that's unique to you it's something mm. that you earned is you built this relationship you have a bit of customization involved there possibly another way you would build a connection would be um either you have to save it or it has to it saves you at different times yeah um creating these little moments this is what what builds a connection right um and i i think you've actually nailed it there's no reason why the thing that you're connected to can't be a horse or a dog oh totally uh, i think sort of more of a sort of thing i'm interested in is like a person because that feels more difficult like because like you said straight away i've just given a horse a name it's called speckles the horse because he's got mm-hmm. a speckly bum and <laughs> we have a good time and I fed I feed him apples. Oh, he was a cheeky little... Oh, that was such a really cool moment. I, 
Okay, so again, very brief sidebar before we get into talking about people. So I'm playing Zelda, and I to get to one part of the map to another would take so long that I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to use the transporting thing. But I don't want to leave my horse out in the open like I did before. So I'm going to ride him down to where there's this little covered stable area in a town and he'll be out of the rain. I'm like, he's going to stay there and then I'm going to transport off to the other bit. I'm not going to leave you out in the open again. So I put him there and I start to wander off and there's a dude like planting carrots like in front of us the horse just strolls up like behind the dude and just starts eating the carrots out of the ground yes and i'm like no no stop <laughs> it's like i can't pick the carrots like when i walk up to them and press a it's like he literally says looks like someone spent a lot of time on these carrots like i can't even steal them so i'm like shit and i'm trying to get and he won't st- i put him back and then he comes back out and keeps eating them till he's eating all the carrots and then he just stands there looking at me i'm like you fucking horse <laughs> that That's was amazing I, I loved that moment but uh yeah you anyway need, you need moments well the thing is you're you're acting like it's it's so completely different between the horse or say i'm not going to compare a horse to elizabeth and bioshock infinite but <laughs> no, like no, no, if yeah. you're you're wandering around the beach and guess what there's these random things she can do she can pick up a rock and skip it on the water she can um sit down and play in the sand she can uh, she'll walk up and she'll weave all these markers for things like if you get within this sphere she might walk over and, and look at this there's tons of things for her to look at we mark everything in the game that we think mm. like maybe Liz could be interested in looking at this how interested and we give a number between 0 and 100 um, like yeah having a you don't feel connected to a robot it needs you feel connection when there's the character uh, the companion character you're traveling with has its own personality, its own interests. In the case of the the horse, it's interested in those carrots. Eating shit um, all the time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which I love. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, it, this is how you build a character. Uh, and it's not that different when you have a, a human being. Human beings have interests. He, maybe human beings aren't super interested in carrots, but they're really interested in art. And so mm. if you... If uh, you just kind of leave them someplace, they, they're not going to just sit there waiting. They'll wander over. They'll look at art. Um, they'll uh, they'll feed themselves. In the case of emergent gameplay like Rimworld, they'll, they'll literally take care of their bodily needs. Um, this is... Being believable is an important part. Feeling like the, this character that you're traveling with is believable is an important part of, of, of building a connection with them. Mm. Uh, you need to feel that they're believable and that they're separate from you um, and that they're not a robot in order for you to, to really feel that, that connection. And yeah. So I, I, yeah, the, the thing with the horse is completely understandable. And I, I think it sounds like in Zelda they put a lot of effort into making you love your companion horse. And that is a bit of narrative. That's an amazing little bit of narrative yeah, right there. It is. Because uh, like I say, me, me looking after that horse is like, like I say, I, it's very rare that you could actually be bothered in a game to be like, I'm not just going to leave old uh, Speckles here. I'm going to get, I'm gonna ride for about 10 minutes of my actual life to the other side of the map where I know there's a little covered area that I can put Speckles. And he's got a little mm-hmm. chicken friend in there and they're going to have a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, of none course. of that matters. He stood at where I left him and he was there when I got back, even if it was I mean- raining. God, and you know, like, it's hard because you have to have a lot of these moments and uh, you have to understand that 
players aren't going to experience every single one of these moments. Players are mm. going to experience maybe 10% of these moments. And this is why narrative is so freaking expensive, right? Yeah. Like, because 90% of people that played Legend of Zelda did not see uh, you put that, uh, the the horse eating the carrots. And so when it yeah. comes time to to convince the people with money that you need to make the horse eat the carrots, it's very difficult. Um, I guess that's part of the magic narrative. of Nintendo, right? Why they're... That they, that they can have a lot of money spend and that money yeah <laughs> making it so if the horse is near a field the, the carrot area it will eat the carrots and all of that shit i mean it's not like this is unique to only zelda no uh, no no like there's a these kind of random um, moments that are scripted but you may or may not encounter them you you'll see this in a lot of different games and it's always uh it adds a lot of heart to the game it adds a lot to the game um Child, I, I, always, I love moments like that. Like I always found, particularly with like Alex Vance in Half Life Two, just to go back to that character again. But I think that was one of the first companion characters that I felt. I remember particularly feeling any sort of connection to. It was that she would also like comment on stuff that I was thinking, which was obviously like they explained the process of like, oh, people when they get to this bit, they f- do this or they think this, and it's like, oh, well, why don't we make the character comment on that in uh, some way? But it was little moments like that that I, for some reason, really connected with me. Where I'd be like, wow, this room looks X or Y. And she would say, this room looks X or Y. And I'd be like, oh, I was thinking that. And like that <laughs> feels amazing somehow, as opposed to like the normal character. And a little thing, just again, to be excited about. Oh, Alex yeah, Vance. absolutely. If you had your torch on, like, and you're walking along and you turned around to face her, she would squint and put her hand up in front of her face. And I was like, that's <laughs> amazing. Like, and she would get out the way correctly as well. If you were walking towards the door and she was in front of the door, she would move, which I don't know if it was particularly at the time because it doesn't feel like such an issue anymore. But at the time it was like, oh, come on, NPCs, please move. She would move. And like, like I said, the turning around and you've got your torch on and she would squint and put her hand up. So I would turn my torch off and she would stop doing it. And I was like, that's so cool. That's what a person would do, and it makes you feel like a person. Yeah, totally. I totally yeah. understand that. Like, uh, there were regions in Bioshock Infinite where it was cold, and Liz would would grab her arms and and shiver a little bit. There mm. was, um, definitely you you want to when you want a player to like the character, your companion character, you go out of your way to make sure the companion character does not piss you off. Yeah. You have to keep in mind the hardest, like the shittiest quest is the uh, escort quest. Like mm. in the industry, it's just known like escort quests suck. Yep, they and you do not do. want to make escort quest the game. So you you do a lot of playtesting and you find out. Oh man, if if you run at Liz, she will get out of your way. By the way, yeah, uh, Liz will always be. Um, uh, there's a a kind of path to get through a level. Liz will usually be leading. Like she will be ahead of you in the path, so you're always moving towards her. So you see her a lot. Yep, but she will the second you get too close she will back up she will get out of your way uh there there's a lot of little things like that that um just to to make sure this companion character is always present but never uh uh pissing you off never a frustration point uh that's so that's important too you're you're bringing up a lot of things i these are all things that we we deeply consider like narrative is not easy and there there is a lot of little things like that um the little additive animations that you do for uh, for when a character is scared, hungry, cold, 
um, these things you do to to make a character the the character you're shining a light in her eyes and she kind of squints. Mm. Um, that's good. Definitely the best things. Okay, so a problem you run into when you're a developer is it's really easy to make a game that kind of plays itself, or make a game that's kind of fun to make. So the the reason why that uh, you shine a light in her eyes and she squints is amazing is because what Valve did there was they found a moment where the player has agency. The player did something and the world reacted to the player. Mm. Um, those are the best moments. Uh, it's a lot easier. And as a developer, it's kind of really fun to have moments where um, the your companion character reacts to things in the world. That's much easier in yeah. a way because you control the world and you control the companion character. Yeah. What's harder and what has what's a gives you a better result is when the player does a thing and the companion character reacts. Those are you, those moments can't be extremely scripted, um, but they are the uh, because you, you can't rely on the player doing a specific thing or looking at a specific thing at a specific time or anything like that. But they they tend to be strongest. Because the, the it gives the player a sense of agency. Yeah, I find those are uh, in narrative games. Those are also the ones that resonate with me. The the squinting when somebody shines a light in your eye moments. Those are good. I would agree. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'd say we have discussed that as much as we can. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for writing that article, Ian. That was yeah. Uh, that was a good good conversation on a slow news leak. It did, I think and yeah. Video games are better with stories. I think so too. Even Overwatch, which uh, wouldn't need a story, has enough little elements of plot thrown into the game all the time through dialogue and things on the walls and stuff like that that you don't have to go outside of the game to search for. That makes it a better game than a lot of the other shooters that came out at the same time that had loads of text you could read and crap like that if you wanted a story or yeah. none at all it was like no overwatch did a very good job of making you feel like you're in a world and those are characters that's an interesting one too because i think with overwatch the the narrative and the the character that they gave to each person uh helped the team focus on a vision helped the team really focus on um the, these we we talked at one point about a style guide for a character as far as animation goes, but yeah. it goes for everything. Like this character is a rogue, uh, and, and once you come up with kind of a feel and a vibe for a character just in writing, it informs the art for the character, everything they do, every little motion. You kind of you work their personality into every part of them, mm. uh, and so having that that narrative in your mind of, of who is this character, who is this person is super important. And it's something that Overwatch definitely nailed. Oh God, um, yeah. 100%. Yeah. As soon as you were saying that, I was just thinking of the character Reinhardt because I play him a lot and I was like, yeah, he's got all of that. <laughs> yeah, he's got... E exactly. You you Somebody sat down and, and decided this is what this character is going to feel like. Yeah. Uh, and just repeated those those words. And those words are important for the art team and for designers and for everybody. Like the figuring out in a in a character shooter, making sure that your characters have unique personalities and feelings is uh important. And they they nailed that. Yeah. And that's that's a level of narrative we didn't even really get into, which is just like there could be an entire backstory to Reinhardt that Blizzard never tells anybody, that people internally just know because it informs what you do internally 
And there's a there's a lot of games I've worked on where we have a story where like we're never going to tell this story to anybody. Um, but here's the story of this person. And that just helps keep everybody on the same page about what they do and how they work and animate yeah. and everything. I mean, you can, as soon as you mentioned that, I'm like, yeah, that is completely, you look at Reinhardt, you listen to everything he says, interactions with other characters at the beginning of matches where they reference little things that, oh, I haven't seen you since this thing. Da, da, da. And it's like, no explanation to any of it, but you get such a sense of who he is. And like, like you say, now you've said it, it's like, oh God, they, they completely know who he is and where he's been and what he's done and what he's all about and what's influenced him and all that stuff. But we can talk about that stuff another day, I think, Gwen. We should probably start wrapping things up. Uh, shall we? Well, this has been great talking to you, Chris Light. Thanks, Gwen Frey. This has been Gwen Frey and Chris Light, and you have been in the Dialogue Box.